and welcome to the Beyond Your Research Degree podcast by the University of Exeter Doctoral College. Hi, it's Kelly Priest here and welcome to the latest episode of Beyond Your Research Degree. Continuing our series on getting jobs during COVID, I'm really excited to be talking to Dr. Katie Finning. So Katie was up until recently a postdoc at the University of Exeter and has, during the pandemic, made the transition into a non-academic role. So Katie, are you happy to introduce yourself? Sure. So uh, I'm Katie Finning. I am I'm currently working as a senior researcher at the Office for National Statistics. So I was in academia for about nine years before I left. Um, So originally joined not long after I finished my undergraduate degree. I um, took up a job as a research assistant at Exeter University. So I was working on a a clinical trial of a behavioural therapy for adults with depression. And I kind of worked on that project from start to finish. So when I joined, um, we were still kind of gaining all of our ethical approvals. And I stayed working in that job right up until the end where we published the results of the study. So that was a really great experience because I kind of saw the whole research life cycle from start to finish. Um, and in that job, my main job for most of that time was data collection and uh, recruitment. So that was great. I spent most of my job kind of going out and meeting people and interviewing them and chatting to them about their experiences, um, which was was a really interesting and, and fun job. And then I did my PhD. I moved over to child mental health. So I was still at, at Exeter University. Um, so I'd always been been kind of interested in mental health from a research perspective but particularly child mental health and a a PhD opportunity came up just as my contract um, on that clinical trial was coming to an end so it was kind of perfect timing it was in a team that I was really keen to kind of make my way into and the topic was really interesting so it was advertised um, you know as as a job rather than me kind of submitting my own PhD proposal Um, and my PhD was kind of epidemiological, so it looked at kind of patterns and, and trends in data, um, looking at the association between anxiety and depression in young people and um, school absenteeism. And um, so used a variety of different research methods during my PhD, did a bit of systematic reviews, some quantitative work, some qualitative work. So it was a really kind of nice well-rounded project that gave me experience in methods that I hadn't experienced when I was working as a research assistant and I think I'd kind of the whole time that I was in academia there were things that I loved I loved working on research I loved working with data um, but I always kind of questioned whether academia was the right place for me and the only reason really that I think I stayed for so long was just because the opportunities were there and so I had no real reason to leave. I had a, a funded post for about five years and then I had a great PhD opportunity for three years. And then I did a couple of years of postdoc work as well. Um, and it was, to be honest, by complete luck that I was contacted about my job now. So towards the end of my PhD, I was starting to get a little bit anxious about kind of what was going to come next Um, whether I'd be able to get any funding for postdoc work and I started quite seriously looking at jobs outside of academia but there was never really anything that I saw that I felt was a good enough match for my skills and for what I was interested in 
Um, and so I signed up for kind of hundreds of job alerts every week. I'd, I'd get all these alerts about various different jobs and I'd scroll through them and think, oh, I just don't, I don't, I just don't think there are any jobs outside of academia for me and kind of felt a little bit hopeless at that point because I was worried about my job security in academia, but also didn't feel like there was anything outside of academia for me. And so then I applied for some postdoc funding and was awarded um, postdoc funding. It was about a year and a half of funding. So I really stopped looking for alternative jobs. And then by complete coincidence, I was contacted by someone at the Office for National Statistics um, on LinkedIn about a job that they had and kind of encouraging me to apply. And I looked at this job description and I remember saying um, to my husband, I feel like this job's got my name on it. And it just kind of ticked every box. It was a, a research role. It was a permanent job, which was really important for me. Um, it was a homeworking contract, which this was all, all happening during the pandemic and I'd, I'd really benefited from homeworking. So I was quite eager to apply for jobs um, that would be permanently home based. And yeah, so that's kind of how I got to where I am now. One thing led to another. I thought, oh, I'll just put in an application, you know, see what happens. But I've got this postdoc funding, so it's no big deal if I don't get it. Let's just see what happens. And um, I had an interview was offered the job and so here I am I've been in this job for about three and a half months now. Thank you so much for that I think just a story that will really resonate with so many of our listeners about the the getting towards the end of the research degree and that kind of anxiety of where you know where the hell am I going next um is academia right for me I can't see anything outside of it that really feels like it speaks to my interests or my knowledge or my skills. Um, and I think it's really important just to acknowledge how normal that feeling is. Yeah. And and I think as well, we're not very good in academia about talking about that. So I always kind of felt like I wasn't I wasn't sure if academia was right for me, but no one ever really talked about well if not academia then what and it and I always kind of felt like everybody else in academia was so committed and so sure that this was where they wanted their careers to be and actually now on reflection I don't know that that's true I think that we just a lot of people have those doubts but it's for whatever reason it's not really talked about and the trouble with that is that it means that it is difficult to know what else there is um, and so I think it's really great that you do this podcast and I think there needs to be more resources like this for, you know, pre-docs, PhD students, post-docs, just to kind of get an understanding of what else is out there. Because I, the thought of leaving academia was really quite scary for me because I felt like nobody was talking about what happens when you leave. You know, if I hate it, can I come back? Um, will I be seen as kind of an outsider or a traitor for, <laughs> for leaving? Um, and I found that really unsettling because I felt like I was the only the only one who wasn't completely sure that I wanted to stay on this career path and and kind of aspire to become a, a professor. Um, so I think it's really great that we're having this conversation and that you're kind of pushing forward these sorts of topics and conversations because I think they need to be had. They do. And I think, you know, you've said it there yourself, there's a real taboo around talking about even thinking is academia right for academia right for me let alone leaving yeah um and there's all sorts of really really problematic narratives around it as well you know a lot of people have this 
misconception, but it, you know it's perpetuated that it you know if you if you decide not to be an academic, you're it, you've in some sense failed. You failed, yeah. And and it's really difficult to to push past that, yeah. Especially when it, the narrative is so pervasive. It is. And and I felt as well, because I, I wasn't sure, you know, I really enjoyed academia in lots mm. of ways. So it wasn't like I absolutely hated it and I knew I wanted out. It was like, OK, I quite like this, but there's also some stuff I'm not sure about. And, and what I worried about was if I tell anyone that I'm thinking about jobs outside of academia, people might not consider me for jobs yeah. inside academia and so I never told anybody I never wanted to speak mm -hmm. to my supervisors or those that I worked with because I thought well if a job comes up they might think well she's not very committed so let's not offer it to her um so there was kind of this difficult dynamic where I felt yeah. like I needed to be speaking about what other options there were but also didn't want to look like I wasn't committed enough to be able to do a good job if I did decide to stay yeah Exactly. And it, it's something I've heard so much over the past few years at Exeter is that is a real fear of if I express that I might not be interested in staying in academia, what might the consequences be? What, yeah. How might that limit my opportunities? And like you say, if I go out and I decide actually I don't like it and I want to come back, you know, is that going to damage my chances? So yeah. I wanted to pick up on a couple of things. So, you know, you said... You, not knowing what was out there you signed up to loads of job alerts but nothing was coming up that really spoke to you can you talk a little bit about that and about the kind of things were coming up and what 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 about them wasn't resonating with you so I found it very difficult a lot of the jobs that were coming up so I think I signed up for job alerts that were kind of you know based on keywords so it was like research researcher data um, analysis those kinds of things but there was very little in the way of kind of well-rounded research so there were tons and tons of kind of data scientists data analyst type roles and as much as I really enjoy working with data and it was one of the things during my PhD that I particularly enjoyed I, I'm still I'm not a data scientist right and that's quite a specific set of skills and so a lot of these jobs were coming up where I was thinking well that sounds really interesting but I don't I don't think I've quite got the skill set in order to do that. And there was very little that seemed to be out there that was kind of like a well-rounded researcher role that might involve, you know, a bit of research design, a bit of data collection, a bit of analysis, a bit of dissemination. There was just nothing really coming up. But I tell you what, I... So I think I searched on, you know, all the usual places, Glassdoor, Indeed, um, LinkedIn, and set up loads of job alerts through those kinds of places but the one thing I didn't do was look at civil service and it honestly never even crossed my mind I just never even and that's why I think these kinds of conversations are so important because I didn't really even think about there being research posts in the civil service Absolutely. there are tons of research jobs mm -hmm. in the civil service not just the ONS there are, I mean there are loads of jobs being advertised at ONS but you know Department for Education, mm. Department for Health and Social Care, Department for Transport depending what your topic area or area of interest is there are loads of research jobs in the civil service and I had absolutely no idea. <laughs> yeah and I I think it's it's so common it's you know if you're interested in an academic career I mean I'm not saying it's easy because it's highly competitive yeah. but 
you're surrounded by the people with the information you're surrounded by the gatekeepers well and you know you can you see very clearly what in front of you what the options are yeah outside it you know it's it's such a big sort of open-ended market of of possibilities and knowing where you might fit within that is really difficult so in thinking about what kind of didn't resonate with you about those roles what was it about this role that you're now in at ONS that did speak to you what is it that made you go ah that that sounds like it might be for me it was the fact that the job description was so the job title was senior research officer but the job description mentioned the whole life cycle of research so it said something along the lines of you know roles might include and it was everything from designing research working with stakeholders um you know managing a team of researchers data analysis dissemination it was basically a postdoc researcher (laughs) but working for government and I thought, well, that's exactly what I want. I don't want to be segued into, you know, being a specialist data scientist that's a bit outside the realms of what I'm capable of. It's it's a bit of everything and everything that I've learned along the last, you know, nine years of being academia. I've done all of that. So I literally look, looked at the job description and I thought, well, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. There was nothing in it that made me go, that's a bit outside of what I can really do. Um, it just felt like it fit my skill set and probably the skill set of a lot of kind of early postdoc researchers early career researchers perfectly but it had the benefit of being a permanent job which I hadn't had you know at the age of 32 I'd never had a permanent job and that was I felt like it was the time of my life where I was just a bit tired of being on fixed term contracts and always having to worry about what came next. And so to have a kind of well-rounded research job that was working from home and that was permanent was just I mean, it was a no brainer. Yeah. And I think, you know, we don't talk in, again, we don't talk enough about or we talk a lot about precarity in academia, but we don't talk enough about actually why that might be a reason to leave. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, right. It's it's almost something that you're just kind of expected to put up with. Mm. And it's like, well, that's just how it is, you know, and and all of the kind of more senior academics have been through that process as well. So all you see is, you know, even kind of the role models and the people that you aspire to to be like eventually still had to go through that process. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of just like, well, that's if you want to be in academia, that's mm-hmm. just what you have to put up with. Um and I think in, you know, in the time of COVID as well, I felt kind of like it was extra precarious. And yeah. I thought, I don't know what the landscape is going to be like over the yeah. next couple of years. And that was really scary. It is. And lots of people for various reasons. It, it can be, you know, the fact that you just don't have the kind of life circumstances where you can work preca- precariously. Yeah. It can be, you know, that you're incredibly tied geographically yeah for various different reasons you know there's lots of different reasons why that kind of that kind of system just doesn't really work for people and therefore it can be a reason to leave academia but that doesn't mean leaving behind 
research and and the things that you're passionate about in terms of your subject area but also in terms of um your skills yeah exactly and I think one of the things I I really um was quite nervous about leaving and from the point where I accepted the job to the point where I left I was anticipating that I was going to regret leaving from day one and I was going to wonder what on earth I'd done and I don't know I sort of feel like I'd maybe put academia up on a bit of a pedestal where I thought you know this is the best thing in the world and I'm not going to have that anymore and one of the things that I particularly worried about so one of the things I love about academia is working with like some of the brightest minds in the world right like no exaggeration and you get to sit in on conversations and be involved in conversations where it's like you know groundbreaking research really smart people and and I just loved that I found it really exciting and I thought if I leave academia I'm going to lose that but actually there are tons of really bright people at ONS there are tons of ex-academics at ONS um I I didn't lose that at all you know that there are things and, and we can talk about that you know there are things that I miss and things that I lost but working with bright people definitely wasn't one of them um and I can honestly say that I haven't looked back for a second and I haven't had once I left it was kind of the the couple of months up to leaving that were horrible because I was so worried about whether I was going to regret it as soon as I started my new job I I just knew I'd made the right decision and even in those first kind of couple of months of starting a new job which is always a bit unsettling and especially you know it was a big change going to civil service from academia it's in some respects it's totally different Um, and there were moments where I felt quite unsettled even now um, you know, three and a half months down the line, I still have moments of, of feeling a bit unsettled, but never for a second have I thought, I wish I hadn't left. There's something really, I, for me, this is something really to do with identity. And I experienced it myself when I stopped being an academic and I moved into professional services. I really felt like I was going to be leaving a huge part of myself behind and that I you know, it, I felt like it sh- it was going to be gut wrenching. Yeah, to leave my leave my research topic, and I ha- I to the extent that I thought I would probably carry on with some of my research, and it was only I've been in this job six years, probably about two years ago, that I finally had an exodus of books and research materials when I realised. It's been four years. It's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Um, Because actually, you know, that it was so tied to my sense of identity that I thought it was going to be this massive, massive thing to stop doing it and to leave and to, you know, forge a different path. And, you know, like you, when I started it, I thought, oh, actually, this this feels right. It feels like the right environment for me. It feels like doing the right thing. And I've, I've not looked back once and I've never missed it. Yeah, that's really interesting. And and I think I can really relate to um, that kind of sense of your identity being wrapped up in academia, because in academic research, it's all about you. Like it's about you, your research interests, your proposals. You know, it's so centred on you that that it does become part of your identity. And and I think it it feels like 
it probably felt like one of the biggest life decisions I've ever made and probably still does to leave. It felt like this huge, huge decision. Um, and especially because I'd just been awarded some postdoc funding. So I was like, I'm I'm literally set, like I'm walking away from a really good opportunity. And I guess as well, you know, it's always talked about how competitive research funding is. And, you know, if you've been awarded something, it's like, wow, that's amazing. Well done. You should be so pleased that like to walk away felt really difficult and almost like I was letting people down or letting myself down somehow but um yeah it's funny how pretty much as soon as I left I kind of I saw things from a slightly different perspective and I realized how the culture of academia kind of perpetuates that way of thinking where it's all focused on you you're not letting anybody down if you if you decide to leave like you're not letting anybody down. You're just not. And you know what? Your self-identity will change and evolve. And okay, it won't be wrapped up in, you know, this really kind of specific area of specialty that you've developed, but you'll have a new identity and you'll still have many of the aspects of your old identity, but it will just evolve and change. Um, but that's just part of life, right? We change anyway. So nothing to fear. Yeah, I think that I think that's so, so important to acknowledge. And it was going to be one of my key questions for you is kind of what happens <laughs> when you when you leave and what does that feel like? Because it is it's a huge source of anxiety for people because it feels like a complete unknown. And like you say, we don't talk about it. Yeah. So we fear it. That's right. And and yeah you know academia it's not just a job when you're in academic research it is more than that it is wrapped up in your identity um so it's a big deal but you know and I'm sure there are people who leave and find that transition really difficult but for me it wasn't difficult at all and actually you know I've still got some old projects um from my academic career kind of rolling on and honestly if anything I've had moments of thinking god I just want to get those things done so that I can put it behind me and move on um it's it's funny how quickly my loyalties (laughs) changed and I felt like actually that was something from the past and and I'm ready to just move on and you know learn it learn a new job and and develop a new life and and for my job to not be such a strong part of my identity anymore, I actually yeah. find that really refreshing. I did too. Yeah, there's there's, um, there's quite a burden, I think, yeah. that, that at the time I didn't realise because I thought it was cool that, you know, my research was so important and then it was all wrapped up in me and my self-identity. And, and so I didn't realise it until I left. But actually, I think for me, that felt like like a bit of a burden. And it's it's nice to feel like, Although what I'm doing now is still really important and it's impactful, it's I can see it more as just a job. And, and I think I really appreciate that. Yeah, and I I felt exactly the same about it. You know, it actually I don't think I necessarily felt it was a burden at the time. But when, when I realised the weight had been lifted. Yeah, I realised you realised what a burden it was. But at the same time, I always say, you know, it's not like that for everybody. No it's it doesn't feel like it's not a burden for everybody and and you know that's an important thing to recognize too but if it is for you then maybe this is it's not the environment 
Yeah. And if your passion is research, there's plenty of things that you, you can go and do. So the thing that I wanted to talk about next was the application process for your job at ONS. Because again, it's something that feels in academia, we sort of know a bit about if we're in the system about how job adverts and applications and interviews and how all of those processes go. But it feels like a really huge unknown when we're talking about um, public service or industry, particularly the civil service. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what the application involved and what the interview process involved. Yeah, so um, it was a very different experience to jobs that I had applied for in academia. Um, the application form was fine. I actually, um, I, because like I said, I hadn't been looking out for civil service jobs, so I hadn't spotted this job until someone messaged me on LinkedIn and I didn't get the message until the day before the closing day. So I literally had like one evening and a bit of the next day to put my application together. So it was very rushed. Um, and I think it involved a CV, um, a description of my previous work experience, and then I had to do um, a statement. So I think it was 750 words, and I had to discuss a piece of work that I had led or a piece of research that I had led. And there were specific criteria about what I needed to include. So it was how I had led a team, what the outcome was, um, and there were some other things that were specified in there. That was pretty easy, um, to be completely honest. If you've got to kind of post-PhD level, you'll be able to talk about a piece of work that you've led. Um, so that was more just kind of, you know, like a lot of job applications, it's a bit tedious having to put that together and because I didn't have much time to do it. Um, but that was fine. And then I was contacted fairly soon afterwards um, inviting me to interview and then I had to log on to civil service jobs uh, website uh, so it's worth mentioning for anyone listening to this if you think you might be interested in a research job in civil service they're all advertised via civil service jobs I think it's .co.uk so all civil service um, kind of government organisations will all be posted on there um, and the whole application process is managed on there as well um, so then I had to book myself an interview date. So basically it's all done on an automated system and you get a choice of different dates and then you select one. The interview itself was hard. <laughs> um, it was about an hour and a half long and it was broken down into three parts. So the first part was a presentation. I think it was only a five minute presentation and they'd sent me information about what I had to present on about a week before. And basically, they the the content of it was that they gave me a, a general topic area with a list of specific research questions, and I had to kind of a bit of a brief that some government department wanted this research and what they wanted it for. I had to pick a couple of the research questions to focus on, and then I had to design a study to address those questions. So the first part of my interview was presenting that, and then the panel asked me a bunch of questions about it. Um, you know, why did you select those questions? Um, why did you pick this design? How could you do it differently? What are the strengths and weaknesses? Um, and then that was followed up with quite specific, um, I think they called them research skills questions. If you had 
just come out of your undergraduate degree, um, particularly in something like psychology, which was what my degree was, um, it would probably be relatively easy. But if you're a few years or more, as in my case, kind of post undergrad, it was things like, um, you know, what is a normal distribution? How would you explain a p-value to a lay audience? Um, things like that, which, you know, if you work with data kind of day to day, you know those things, but actually being able to provide like a really neat definition for it in a high stress interview situation was really, really difficult. That's um, really tough. Yeah, it was hard. And there was about 20 minutes of those kinds of questions. But I was lucky that I had before my interview, I'd gone on to um, the Glassdoor website and I'd looked up. So on there, this is a, a very big tip to anyone listening to this who's thinking of applying for other jobs. Um, there's a there's a tab on Glassdoor for interviews. So if you go to whatever the organization is, so search for, say, ONS, go to the interviews tab and there will be people who have posted about their experiences of having an interview at that organization. And it includes um, interview questions. And so I had seen on there, I think it was only, I don't know, a few days before my interview, my husband actually said, oh, have you had a look on, on Glassdoor? And I didn't know this was a thing. So we, st we stood there together. I was kind of over his shoulder. He was on his computer, brought up these interviews. And I saw a few um, for this, the specific kind of job role that I had advertised for. And it said on there um, that, you know, people were saying I was asked these kind of very specific research questions, statistics type questions with some examples of the kinds of questions and I remember standing there and saying to my husband oh my god I, there is no way I'm going to be able to do that and so I spent the next three days like revising all my undergraduate um, stats and research methods if I hadn't have done that I think that interview process would have been a lot more stressful than it was and and would have been really difficult but thankfully I was quite prepared for that um, and then the third part of the interview was what they call civil service behaviours. Um, so there are a bunch of kind of civil service behaviours, things like, um, what was I assessed on? I can't remember. I think there's about 10 of them and I was assessed on two. Um, so I think it was maybe leadership and effective decision making. I think those were the two that I was assessed on. And that was um, those kinds of smart questions so it's like um you know tell us about a time when you did such and such or you know they'll present you with a scenario and say what would you do in this situation um and those are the kinds of questions where you have to say okay this is what the situation was um this is the action that i took this was the outcome etc and that section of the interview specifically was really new to me although i know that that's kind of quite typical in many organizations in academia certainly when the jobs that I applied for that that kind of interview process wasn't used at all so I found that quite difficult and if I'm honest a little bit artificial there were no questions like you know why do you want the job what do you think you'd bring to the organization what relevant skills have you got it was all very structured and it did feel a little bit artificial and a little bit like a tick box exercise. Um, so I found that quite difficult and it was stark contrast to academic job interview processes. Um, but, you know, I got through it and apparently I was I did a good enough job to be offered <laughs> to be offered a post. And I will say as well, actually, um, I've since been to 
um, a talk. So not long after I joined, there was um, a civil service wide kind of talk about um, disability adjustments in job application processes. And, and I have long term health problems, but I hadn't mentioned that on my job application. Um, I think like many people with disabilities or long term health issues, I worried about whether that would minimize my chances of being offered something. And so I didn't mention it. But actually, I now know that that absolutely wouldn't have been the case. And I would really encourage anybody listening who's got any kind of disability or needs any kind of adjustment in order to assist them with the interview process and make it fairer um, to absolutely put that down when you apply. And I know that ONS and, and no doubt other government organisations as well take that really, really seriously. That's really helpful just to reassure people that there is that support there and that accessing it is, is, isn't going to disadvantage you. Yeah, definitely. And also that's one thing I've been really impressed with since I've joined is the support for um, people with disabilities. So actually after I joined, there's, there's a whole kind of official process at ONS if you've got any kind of disability. Um, it's called a disability, uh, sorry, no, it's called a workplace adjustment passport. And it's basically a form that you that you fill out um, in collaboration with your line manager that says, you know, these are my difficulties. These are the kinds of adjustments I need. And um, they're agreed and it's kind of formally attached to your record so that if you move around within the organisation, that goes with you. And it can be reviewed and changed as needed. Um, but they are really brilliant at making any adjustments that are required that are helpful for you as an individual in order to perform at your best and I've been really impressed with that from ONS. That's that's really amazing. Uh, I was just going to say the other, the other thing that, that I'm really valuing is work-life balance and flexi time so ONS has a, a flexi time system and it was one of the things I was quite worried about about leaving having um, chronic health issues one of the things I really valued in academia was that I could kind of manage my time myself so you know if I was having a bad day I could take the afternoon off and I didn't really even need to tell anybody I didn't need to record it as sick leave necessarily I could you know I was you're almost your own boss in in many respects and you have a lot of flexibility over how you manage your time and I really valued that and I was very anxious about losing that um but at ONS there's a there's a flexi time system and it really is very flexible so if you want to take an afternoon off you know as long as you don't have any really important meetings going on you can just do it and you don't really even have to ask for permission um so that that's a real bonus and something I've been really impressed with at ONS and uh, things like part-time working is really common even in very senior staff members um, so several of the kind of the highest level directors at ONS are part-time workers um, there are lots of women in senior roles um, you know people with young children people with caring responsibilities people with disabilities are represented across the whole organization at all different levels and on reflection I don't think that's done very well in academia and I always found it difficult because so I dropped to part-time working hours during my PhD because for health reasons and then in my postdoc work I was always part-time and it and it really worried me that nobody senior 
seemed to work part-time and I always thought I don't think I'll be physically capable of doing that job full-time so therefore that career path just isn't an option for me but at ONS it it just doesn't matter you can job share you can be part-time it doesn't matter how senior you are um you know it's recognized that people have lives outside of their jobs and ONS are very good at accommodating that fabulous yeah isn't that nice to hear (laughs) it is it is so I think to wrap up what what advice would you give to someone who is you know in the position that you were where you're not really sure if working in academia is the right thing for you but you you don't really know what's out there what what advice would you give them in hindsight I would say join LinkedIn and <laughs> um, I wasn't on LinkedIn for years and I, and I kind of always thought oh what's the point of it it's, I, I couldn't really see how it would benefit me if I wasn't on LinkedIn I wouldn't have known about this job and it and I'd probably still be in academia still having all those same concerns um and you know keep your options open where I think where you feel comfortable doing so have those conversations with your managers and your colleagues and and I appreciate that that's really difficult and I guess if there are any managers listening to this I would say please have those conversations with your staff, with your junior researchers, you know, acknowledge that not everybody in academia wants to be a professor one day. Um, You know, make it known that it's okay to be thinking about alternative careers. Um, And I've actually been been invited by um, a professor at um, Oxford University who I, I worked with um, or kind of came across during my PhD she's since approached me and has asked me to to do a bit of a mini presentation to her research team so she's a very senior professor at Oxford um, who wants me to come and, and talk to her research group about my job and about um, you know civil service and leaving academia and I just feel like that's tr- like just such leadership there to to proactively get someone who's no longer in academia in to talk to her team Um, I really feel like more managers need to be doing that. Um, But, you know, if you're in the position that I was in, try and seek out people who you do feel safe having those conversations with. And that there was one particular person, quite senior person who I who I worked with, who I did have those conversations with. And I really valued that. Um, And I still chat to him now. Um, So, yeah, I think, you know, find out find out people who you feel safe having those kinds of conversations with um, and have those conversations and just keep your options open and know that there is research happening everywhere and just because you don't know about it it doesn't mean it's not happening so just keep looking keep searching um, that there are lots of jobs out there it's just about kind of finding them and knowing where to look but look on civil service jobs because there are tons and I had no idea. Thank you so much to Katie for that really insightful and really in-depth discussion about that transition from PhD to postdoc to leaving academia. I think it's really beneficial to have these really in-depth conversations about the process, what it involves, how it feels, so that we can reassure um, our listeners that actually it's it's okay. <laughs> it's going to be okay. Um, and it was great to also hear about the support at ONS for um, for disabled employees and knowing that, that that support is out there in industry as well as in academia. 
And that's it for this episode. Join us next time when we'll be talking to another researcher about their career beyond their research degree.